Howdy, and welcome to the Six-Gun Justice Podcast, where we saddle up and ride hell for leather into the blazing six-gun action of the Western genre in books, movies, TV, and any other media at home on the range. I'm your host, Paul Bishop. Alongside jazz, the Western is a genuine American art form, but that hasn't stopped the rest of the world from telling an amazing slew of their own Wild West tales, often written by wordslingers who've never set foot on American shores, let alone been west of the Mississippi. Recently, the podcast took a deep ride into the Western's influence on Mexican films, comics, and popular culture. We focused on the indigenous filmmakers and writers who have creatively appropriated the tropes of the Western with their own unique political and cultural emphasis on the form. This opened a vista to what we're calling the World Wide West Tour, giving us a chance to expand our Western horizons far beyond American shores. So, for the next few episodes, the Six Gun Justice podcast will be going international to explore the indigenous westerns of such countries as Australia, England, the Netherlands, Spain, Italy, and more. Today, the podcast is heading to Germany for part one of a visit to the fatherland, which has its own long history of the western that continues to thrive today. Joining me direct from an acclaimed two-week engagement in Kathmandu is my far-range-riding saddle partner and occasional co-host, Tim DeForest. Hey, friend. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. I always appreciate being asked to co-host. I enjoy it enormously. I wasn't kidding about Kathmandu. You had a couple of weeks there. Is that right? Yep. I went with a group from my church. There was a conference going on there, and we were doing a vacation Bible school for the children of the workers attending the conference. That's very cool. I take it you didn't have time for any bookstore hunting over there? No, I'm afraid not. I had these visions of stumbling across a used bookstore in Kathmandu and finding something mind-numbingly rare. <laughs> <laughs> but we were working most of the time, so we didn't have a chance to do much touristy stuff. Well, that demands a trip back then. Yep. And with that, let's stampede the cattle and get to today's feature, part one of the World Wide West Tour, Germany. While there may have been previous German Western wordslingers, there is one in particular who can be looked at as the father of Germany's indigenous Westerns. Author Karl May has become one of the best-selling German writers of all time, with about 200 million copies sold worldwide. While he wrote novels set in the Orient, Latin America, and the Middle East, he is best remembered for his 19th century Western romances, and I use that term in the original literary sense of adventure novels rather than love stories of the romance genre we know today. Mai's Western romances featured the adventures of his most popular characters, the wise Apache chief Winnetou and his white blood brother, German immigrant Old Shatterhand, as they traveled across the American West. The duo are featured in 15 of Mai's more than 80 novels. They also appeared in a series of films from the 1960s, which were so successful that they are said, with only some exaggeration, to have saved the West German film industry. Many older Germans can still hum the theme music today. In the 60s, there was a lot of competition between movie studios in West Germany and those in East Germany. This extended to the Winnetou franchise. Movies from the West German studios were actually filmed in Croatia, with French actor Pierre Bryce as Winnetou, an American actor, Lex Barker, playing Old Shatterhand. When East Germany jumped on the Winnetou filmic bandwagon, Gojiko Mitchik, a Serb playing the part of Winnetou, was the go-to guy. 
But while these films were mainly in the 60s and the 70s, the legend of Winnetou and Old Shatterhand is still prevalent in Germany, with the latest feature film featuring the two characters being released in 2019. Plus, the German TV network RTL is currently bringing Winnetou to the small screen as a series of three 90-minute made-for-TV movies. Quentin Tarantino even pays tribute to the franchise in Inglorious Bastards in the scene where German soldiers are playing a Who Am I guessing game in which the answer is Winnetou, Chief of the Apaches. Never visiting the American West before writing his Western romances, Mai successfully compensated for this lack of direct experience through a combination of creativity, imagination, and documentary sources, including maps, travel accounts, and guidebooks, as well as an anthropological and linguistic study. He was also strongly influenced by the Deerslayer stories written by James Fenimore Cooper. However, while he never visited the West, he told everyone he had, and always wore a necklace of bear teeth as evidence. Mai, a known confabulator, was consistently liberal with facts, even when it was of no benefit to himself. He often claimed he had been blind until age six, when he was mysteriously cured, but there is no solid verification for this claim. This lack of specificity often makes it hard to get the truth concerning his career. Still, it appears that the myths surrounding Mai have never concerned his fans. This is clearly proven annually in the northern German town of Bad Segeberg, which is renowned for two things, a vast cave visited each winter by 20,000 bats and an annual Karl May festival visited each summer by 300,000 people. A number of other German and Austrian towns also have Karl May festivals, but the festival in Bad Segeberg, which began in 1952, is the largest, the most opulently staged, and the most financially rewarding. If you join the throngs at the festival, you will find faux log cabins bearing such designations as Pony Express, Sheriff's Office, Barbershop, or Saloon, over which hangs a sign reading in English, Cold Drinks, Hot Food, and Pretty Girls. There's also a lot of cowboy and Indian cosplay by the attendees. You can buy a buffalo burger, hang out in a teepee, and watch children panning for gold. Antique handcuffs and toy guns are for sale, as are tomahawks, feathered headdresses, and all of Karl May's novels and stories, most of which are available in at least seven editions, including green-covered volumes from the century-old Karl May Verlag, a press that prints only books by and about Karl May. Mai's inspiration for Winnetou struck when Buffalo Bill Cody arrived in Munich in 1890 with his Wild West show, which featured 200 cowboys and Indians, Sioux ghost dance performances, and reenactments of the Battle of Little Bighorn with, quote, the people who were there. Hopeful attendees camped out overnight to get tickets. The arena, which seated 5,000, sold out for each of the 18 performances. Even King Ludwig attended. The shows were advertised in the same sorts of magazines in which Karl May was serially publishing his tales of Kara ben Nemsi, an adventurer at large in the Ottoman Empire. Always one to capitalize on a popular trend, May shifted his focus to the Wild West, and the Winnetou and Old Shatterhand stories followed shortly thereafter. May had a troubled early life, starting with being kicked out of school for stealing candles. He would later be fired from a teaching job and spend six weeks in jail for stealing a pocket watch. His reputation was further damaged by rumors of an affair with a married woman. In his 20s, Mai received a four-year jail term for stealing furs. 
He spent his time inside running the prison library. And while he did not write any stories, he made lists of synopsis for stories he planned to write in the future. There were further incarcerations for petty crimes in his 30s. But by that time, Mai was using those collected synopses to write stories and make a poverty-level living writing pulp fiction. At that time, mostly crime stories, adventure romances, and travelogues. He used different pseudonyms for different publications, which often allowed him to change story titles and get paid again by a different magazine who believed they were getting original content. In 1893, when he was 51, Mai published his first Winnetou and Old Shatterhand novel. This was his big break, but it came too late to stop circumstances from catching up to him. His earlier marriage was falling apart. Publishers were refusing to send him royalties for prior works due to his double and sometimes triple dipping behavior, and his health was deteriorating. A lifelong Protestant, he found himself attacked in the press for having written for Catholic magazines, for having lied about his criminal past, and for having lied about where he had and hadn't traveled. Mai never escaped his financial and reputational distress. Even after becoming rich and famous, his money went to lawyers and his last years went to futilely proclaiming his honesty. His autobiography, written late in his career, reads like a closing argument made by the defense at a trial. Does not my life and my efforts already read like a fairy tale? Are there not almost innumerable fables and fairy tales my opponents have built up around me? And whenever I protest against this, I am believed just as little as some people believe in fairy tales. But as for every genuine fairy tale, there will finally come the time when its truth will be evident. So all of my truth will eventually become evident. On the upside, compared to Zane Grey, Mai's prose is less purple, with fewer spotless white hats. His work has the chatty voice of the natural storyteller, with a dry wit reminiscent of Mark Twain. However, in spite of this, Mai's story are distinctively German and riddled with greenhorn errors regarding Native Americans and Western behaviors, which might explain why translations of Mai's stories never found a major audience in America. Tim, I do have some further absolutely fascinating information to add about Karl Mai, but it's so juicy, I'm going to save it for later in the podcast. Which I take to mean we're moving on. Absolutely, because there's far more to German Westerns than just Karl Mai's romanticism view of the West. Yes, there is. And I'm going to spur things along with Siberfell, which translates as Silver Arrow, the original German Western comic published by Bastai Verlag from 1970 through 1988. The comics were drawn by Frank Sells or by the drawing studio founded by Sells. The title hero, Silver Arrow, is a young Indian chief from the Kiowa tribe. Together with his white blood brother, Falk, as well as Moonchild, a young squaw, and her young puma, Tinka, Silver Arrow finds himself involved in numerous adventures. Two rangers, Jed and Harry, turn up frequently in the stories, as do Silver Arrow's blood brother, Uncle Jim Kent. In Silverfell issue number 62, there's even a guest appearance by Carl Mai's characters Winnetou and Old Shatterhand. Other very popular visitors in the early 1970s were Bonanza's Cartwright family, which were the lead characters in another long-running Bastai Verleg comic named after the popular Bonanza television show. Silver Arrow's adventures first appeared in the magazine Felix beginning in 1969 before spinning off into a comic magazine of its own. Silverfield originally appeared every two weeks before becoming weekly in the early 80s. 
the four-color adventures were drawn realistically, and at its peak of popularity, Silverfield had a print run of around 100,000 copies. As was usual with other Bastie comics, unsold issues of Silverfield were released as double issues or special volumes containing three to six individual issues between hardcovers. Parallel to Silver Arrow's comic adventures, the character was also featured in a series of paperbacks between 1981 and 1984. Apart from its popularity in Germany, Silverfell was also successful on the Scandinavian market under the title Solvplein, which is still being published in Norway. Lassiter is a Western comic and novel series from Basti Verlag, which has been published since 1972. Digital editions of the series have been published by Basti Verlag since 2014. The gunslinger for hire named Lassiter is well known to American readers, having first appeared as a long-running series of American paperback westerns published under the house name Jack Slade. Some of the early titles of the series, written by Todd Hunter Ballard and Peter McCurtain, were translated into German editions. However, the character became so popular, a number of mostly anonymous German authors took over the reins, turning out Lassiter Adventures. For the German editions, the American pseudonym Jack Slade was retained as the publisher's house name. As in America, the German version of Lassiter appears as a gunslinger who's often hired for dangerous jobs or gets involved in situations on his own initiative for reasons of revenge or other classic motives. Lassiter often comes into conflict with the law or creates powerful enemies who persecute him over a long period of time, such as Sidney Blood, a Wells Fargo special agent. Unlike the American version of Lassiter, who is basically a hardcore son of a bitch, the German version had the rough edges knocked off and the character became guided by ethical values such as fairness towards the opponent or respect for the culture of the North American Indians. However, his blatant sexual conquest of any woman he encounters continued. In later German Lassiter stories, the character is transformed into a 19th century James Bond when he begins working on behalf of the U.S. government as an agent of Brigade 7, basically a Wild West version of a cross between the FBI and the CIA. Guther Bayog was one of the most prolific of the German Lassiter authors, writing over 500 entries in the series, and a big part of the evolving German conception of Lassiter's character was due to him. The 2000th issue of the German edition of Lassiter was published in November 2010, and there have been more than 200 German Lassiter paperbacks published. With a circulation of around 200 million copies, Lassiter is the most commercially successful Western novel series in the German-speaking world. With the success of Lassiter, Basti Verlag rapidly expanded their Western comics footprint. Bonanza was extremely popular on TV in Germany. Trading on this popularity, Basti took over publishing the Bonanza Comics franchise from Bilges Griffin Verlag, who had simply reprinted German translation of the 21 four-color Bonanza comics published in America by Gold Key and Dell between 1969 and 1971. Basti would go on to publish 103 original German Bonanza comics from October 1973 to September 1977. Basti also published eight original German-language Bonanza novels written by German director, musician, and author Kurt Veltak under his Teddy Parker pseudonym. Rivaling Bonanza in popularity on German TV, Gunsmoke also made its way into a long-running series of Basti comics under the name Rauschend Colts. One of their best-selling Western comics, however, was Bessie, which was basically a Wild West ripoff of Lassie. 
In 90% of the issues, the title collie resolved whatever the adventure was by jumping on the villain at the last second to save the day. Basti also published a number of original German comics with Native American heroes, such as Schwarzer Wolf, a.k.a. Black Wolf, the Lonely Sioux, Flamander Spear, a.k.a. the Flaming Spear, and Ayak the White Wolf. But one of their most successful original titles was Lasso, featuring the rotating adventures of Kid Reno, Chief Arapaho, and Buffalo Bill. Ty Verlag published a slew of other original German-language westerns, such as Texas Western, John Kirby, Colorado Western, Jerry Spring, Cimarron, based on the American TV show, Western Hit, Western Adventure, Western Legend, Red River Jim, Texas Marshall, Jack Slade, Captain Concho, Sundance, based on the iconic character created by John Benteen, and Winchester Western, to name but a few. Clearly, Western comics were good business in Germany. That's a ton of comics to be publishing, far more than appeared in America at the time. I would agree. Beyond the numerous authors working mostly anonymously on the Lassiter franchise and many of the other comic series produced by Basti, there are several other prolific German Western authors of note. In the next episode of the Six-Gun Justice podcast, I'll be speaking with Alfred Wollon, the German author of over 200 German-language Westerns. So we'll save coverage of his canon of work until then. However, there are other popular wordslingers working hard in German. G.F. Unger is rightly celebrated as the most popular and successful German-language Western author. With a record circulation of over 250 million copies, his work has become a beacon illuminating the way for other writers in the field. Gert Fritz Unger was born in 1921. During his youth in the late 30s, he became a champion competition swimmer. He first studied mechanical engineering and learned the craft of metalworking. With these physical and technical requisites, and according to his own statement, because of the seductive political propaganda, Unger volunteered for the German submarine force as a torpedo mechanic at the outbreak of the Second World War, eventually ending up in British captivity. After his return to Germany, Unger initially worked as a fitter and craftsman One of his first jobs was to repair the broken clock at the town hall of Boer. Later, he became a construction manager responsible for major projects at Simons and elsewhere. In 1949, Unger took part in a competition organized by the Northwest German Radio and won first prize with his contribution to a crime radio play. After this small success, he began writing novels in his free time. Inspired by his time in the Navy, he first began by writing sea adventures, which he sold to the publisher Otto Verlag. At the request of his editor, he began writing westerns for various ongoing house name series, including 25 novels in the Billy Jenkins and Tom Prox series. This was before writing the first western under his own name in 1951. From that point on, he became a full-time writer. In 1972, he changed publishers to the much larger and more popular Basti Verlag, who gave him his own imprint, G.F. Unger's Western bestsellers, commissioning numerous cover motifs by the Spanish painter and artist Vincent B. Ballstar. The combination of Ballstar's colorful verging on lurid covers and Unger's fast-moving prose proved to be a winning combination. While Basti Verlag were happy to publish all of Unger's prolific output, they couldn't keep up with him and in 1973, Unger began a new series with Zabergeist Verlag. At the peak of his activity, Unger wrote a novel almost every week. Later, this dropped to six new novels a year. 
Unger claimed his literary role models included Mark Twain, Jack London, and Louis L'Amour. When he wrote novels in the third person, he habitually told the stories in the present tense. However, when he wrote in the first person, he would employ past tense. His westerns most often featured cowboys as protagonists as they defended the law and upheld their honor. According to Unger, a western is a lonely man fighting a fate. Only one of his novels, Skull Ranch, was originally published as a booklet. Unger's 742 other westerns were initially published in paperback, with only the reprints being produced as booklets. In addition to his real name, Unger used various pseudonyms, such as G.F. Bucket or A.F. Peters, for his publications. However, it is a widespread misconception that Unger was behind all the G.F. pseudonyms. For instance, G.F. Barner, G.F. Wigo, and G.F. Waco were all pseudonyms for another author of German-language westerns, Gerhard Friedrich Bassner. In August of 2005, Unger died at the age of 84 from a short but obviously serious illness. After his death, Basti Verlag published 10 paperbacks. However, none of these novels bore any reference to the author's death. Due to the high overall circulation of his works, Unger eventually became the most successful German-language Western author. He was the first German-language Western author whose works have been published as translations for the American market. The numerous reprints and new editions of his Western novels exceed more than 300 million copies. Ronco was an original German-language Western series published by Pabell Verlag that ran for over 400 novel entries. Framed by corrupt army officers and arms dealers who profited financially from the conflict, Ronco was sentenced to death by a military court-martial for leading a wagon train including 200 women and children into a deadly Indian ambush in 1866, a year after the end of the Civil War. Ronco manages to escape before his execution, but he is now an outlaw on the run. There are, of course, numerous bounty hunters like Vulturehead Ron Devlin on his trail. In Volume 226, after more than 10 years on the run, Ronco finally succeeds in convicting the real culprits of the massacre. Believing he can finally settle down, Ronco starts a family with Linda, the daughter of his mortal enemy, Andrew Hilton. The ruthless businessman pulls the strings from his hiding place in Mexico in an attempt to seize his grandson, Jellico, Ronco's son. After the death of Linda in Volume 300, Ronco finds a new calling as a Texas Ranger. And starting with Volume 400, he's in Prescott, Arizona, where he falls in love with Manuela, a Mexican beauty, and becomes a father again, this time of twins. With his friend Lobo, he signs on as a Wells Fargo man and continues his violent adventures. Initially advertised in the 1970s as a spaghetti western-style series, Ronco developed a loyal cult following. This popularity was partly due to the eye-catching covers by illustrator Gunther Koenig, who regularly used the images of well-known actors, as well as recreating scenes from popular Western movies. Even though it was used without permission, Koenig's use of European Western star Terence Hill as a visual inspiration for Ronco on almost every cover proved to be a fantastic merchandising choice. The first four volumes were each divided into two episodes, written by Werner Gronewald. From that point on, a 10 to 15 page outline for each story was provided, which was then filled out by a number of in-house authors under the house name Everett Jones. The story outlines were broken down into 20 to 25 scenes, each described in 10 to 12 lines. Secondary characters were described in detail to avoid contradictions in the following volumes. The full novels ran between 100 and 120 manuscript pages. 
From the 1950s onward, 21-year-old Dietmar Kugler, who wrote his first published Western novel when he was 17, created the majority of the Ronco outlines, as well as writing many of the full novels himself under the pseudonym John Gray. Kugler also curated a reader's page in each volume, as well as providing historical articles and maps related to the stories. In-house editor Wilhelm Kolp made sure the grammar, sentence structure, and continuity of the stories remained consistent. He also wrote most of the volumes under the Ken Coniger pseudonym and was considered one of the most popular authors among readers. Rainer Delfs was primarily responsible for coordinating with the authors and designing covers. He also wrote a number of Ronco novels under the pseudonym Lee Martin. After Volume 100, every fifth issue was a special volume from Ronco's diary. These were told in the first person, with Ronco recounting his youthful adventures before the wagon train massacre. There were eventually 60 of these special volumes, which focused on actual historic events, such as the Pony Express, the Indian Wars, etc. Based on the success of Ronco, Kugler spun off one of the secondary characters, Lobo, into a series of his own that ran for 10 years. At the end of 1981, Pavel Verlag found itself in economic turmoil marking the end of Ronco, one of the longest-running indigenous German-language westerns. With the demise of Ronco and Lobo, Kugler devoted himself entirely to American history. Since then, lectures, nonfiction writing, and research trips to the USA have been his focus, leading him to publish more than 260 nonfiction books on American history. His novels are now considered classics of the genre, with surprisingly high-quality standards and accurately portrayed historical backgrounds. Tim, it's amazing how prolific these German Western writers were. We know in American Western series, there's been some prolific writers, but these guys just are off the charts. It literally doesn't seem they could type fast enough to produce as much as they do. And the fact of the matter is, it all sold in Mm -hmm. Germany, and we know nothing about it here. I know, it is amazing. Fort Aldamo was an old Spanish fort in the Arizona desert. After the Civil War, it served as a U.S. Army penal camp with around 100 convicted soldiers. Since no officer can stand it there for long, the beefy Master Sergeant Finwacker runs the show with iron discipline and never-ending military drills. This training comes in handy as Finwacker and his band of convicts constantly deal with deserters, Indians, and assorted bandits. In addition to the convicts, there are also a permanent staff of a dozen sergeants and corporals. These include the fat kitchen bull Keibler, who constantly runs out of food. Sergeant Warrington is in charge of supplies and runs a lively trade in whiskey and cigarettes. Finwacker's best friend and second-in-command is a young and somewhat naive Sergeant Fitzgerald. Fort Aldamo started in 1982 as a sub-series in the monthly Western hit anthology series. In 1984, Fort Aldamo was spun off into its own series, which ran for 44 volumes. The focus of the early series novels was the rivalry between Finwacker and the Mexican bandolero Jefe Asesino, who repeatedly attempts to conquer Fort Aldamo because he suspects a treasure of Spanish gold is hidden there. Series creator Gunther Bayog, who was also the lead writer on Lassiter for 30 years, while also working on another popular series of novels, Captain Concho. At the end of the original series, Fort Aldamo returned to Western Hit for five more adventures. Tim, I would be remiss at this point I didn't mention one of our Six-Gun Justice deputies and our own homegrown German Western writer, Manuela Schneider. 
born and raised in Germany, Manuela's love of Native Americans and Western history might be surprising to some. But as we've talked about, this fascination with Native Americans and the Wild West has been part of German culture since the days of Karl May. When Manuela joined us for an episode of the Six-Gun Justice podcast, it quickly became clear her fascination with pioneer life, cowboy heroes, and treacherous outlaws has been her constant companion for as long as she can remember. I really enjoyed her Western novel, Arma del Diablo, The Cult of Destiny, which moves back and forth between the current day when antiques firearm expert Michael Kent begins a quest to find the Colt 45 peacemaker of legendary pistolero Johnny Ringo, and 1882, when the cursed firearm begins its murderous journey across the decades. Manuela manages to bring these storylines together in an action-packed and satisfying conclusion. She also has another novel, The Unforgiving Daughter, which was released in an English translation in 2021 by Wolfpack Publishing. Moving from books to movies for a moment, beyond the Winnetou films, West and East Germany kept up their competition when it came to creating sauerkraut westerns. With such titles as Play Me the Song and You're Dead, they were shot in the style of Italian spaghetti westerns with Yugoslavia most often doubling for the Wild West landscape. The plots were simple and violent. In Kioma, the half-breed title character returns to his border hometown after service in the Civil War and finds it under the control of Caldwell, an ex-Confederate raider, and his vicious gang of thugs. To make matters worse, Kioma's three half-brothers have joined forces with Caldwell and make it painfully clear Kioma's return is an unwelcome one. Determined to break Caldwell and his brother's grip on the town, Kioma partners with his father's former ranch hand to extract violent revenge. In the Dark Valley, a lone rider reaches a little town through a hidden path high up in the mountains. Nobody knows where the stranger comes from, nor what he wants, but everyone knows that they don't want him to stay. Sounds like a sauerkraut western version of Hang 'em High. Dead Man, on the other hand, is a sort of sauerkraut western version of A Man Called Horse. Accountant William Blake goes on the run after murdering a man and encounters a strange North American Indian named Nobody who prepares him for his journey into a spiritual world. And then you have the high-low country, which again is a derivative sauerkraut western version, this time of Brokeback Mountain, as it meanders through the intimate and enduring bond of friendship between two hard-living cowboys set against a sweeping backdrop of the post-World War II twilight of the American West. Pete and Big Boy are masters of the prairie, but ultimately are forced to face the trickier terrain of the human heart. Big Boy? Uh, Let's not go there, okay? (laughs) Right. Spurring on. The sauerkraut western brimstone takes us into the menacing inferno of the old American West. Liz is a genuine survivor who's hunted by a vengeful preacher for a crime she didn't commit. And in gold, Canada partnered with Germany for a maple leaf sauerkraut western hybrid. Set in Canada in the summer of 1898, a group of German settlers travel towards the far north in covered wagons with pack horses and their few possessions in tow. Along with their leader, flamboyant businessman Wilhelm Lasser, they are hoping to find their fortune in the recently discovered gold fields of Dawson but they have no idea of the stresses and dangers which lie ahead of them on their 2,500-kilometer journey. Before long, uncertainty, cold weather, and exhaustion began to take their toll, and conflicts escalate. The journey leads these men and women deeper and deeper into a menacing wilderness. There is too long a list of other German-language Western writers to cover them all, but there are still a few standouts. 
In the 1960s, Robert Ullman, pseudonym for H.J. Stammel, competed with G.F. Unger as Germany's favorite Western writer. Between 1956 and 1970, Ullman wrote over 130 Western novels using historical Western backgrounds. In 1967, young Werner Eagley was enlisted to ghostwrite the Ullman novels. Eagley published under the Ullman pseudonym until around 1975, when he switched to his own pseudonyms, Jeff Parker and Lee Roy Jordan, to write for the Ronco and Lobo series. Between 1964 and 1990, using the pseudonym John F. Beck, Florian Beck wrote over 400 Western novels, including entries in the series Rodeo Western, Kung Fu Western, Socorro, Lassiter, and 42 Jim Shannon adventures published in Silver Western. Starting at the age of 19, U.H. Wilkin wrote more than 600 Westerns and became known as Germany's second Karl May. While writing his early novels, Wilkin worked as a newspaper editor, a professional soldier, and a magazine manager at Lufthansa. His best-known series characters include the lonely fighter Cheyenne, the masked avenger Zerto, and mountain man trapper Dan Oakland. Also at the age of 19, Czechoslovakia-born Peter Dubina began writing German-language westerns in 1946. He was known for recycling many of his novels by simply changing the name of the main character and switching pseudonyms and allowing them to be republished as original novels. As John Kirby and G.F. Garner, he was a regular contributor to Ronco, Lobo, Lassiter, and the popular Tombstone series. Total circulation of his novels is estimated at over 20 million copies. And now it's time for us to bring things full circle back to Karl May. In a March 2022 article published by the digital magazine All That's Interesting, Jessica O'Connor writes that during his childhood, one Austrian-born German reader in particular escaped the harsh realities of life through the travels of Mai's characters. This was none other than Adolf Hitler. Reportedly, young Adolf spent so much time consuming Mai's novels that it began to affect his schoolwork. As Hitler grew to become the leader of the Nazi regime, he would still look to Mai's popular characters Winnetou and Old Shatterhand to shape his worldview. Scholars of the Third Reich note that Hitler's creation of Polish ghettos mirrored the way Native American people in Mai's stories and in real life were forced onto reservations. Hitler also was said to have admired the way white Americans had gunned down Native communities, reducing indigenous populations from the millions to a few hundred thousands. After a Nazi plane carrying battle plans went down in Belgium in 1939, Hitler fired many officers because of their carelessness, insisting that if they had read more Mai, the mistake wouldn't have been made. He also sent copies of Mai's books to the troops as they fought for control of Russia. Hitler believed Winnetou provided an example of tactical finesse and prudence. It's also been suggested that Hitler's demand for advanced technology and German weapons stems from old Shatterhand having the equivalent of an assault rifle to combat the evils of the West that used simpler weapons. Albert Beer, a close ally of Hitler's, said that during times of hopelessness, Hitler continued to reach for the novels for comfort. Unsurprisingly, it's clear today Maya's Wild West stories were rooted in concepts of racism, power, and white salvation. In fact, Winnetou willingly converted to Christianity before his death in the final novel. Winnetou and Old Shatterhand only encounter Germans during their travels, and Hitler may have read this as proof that if Germans could maintain control, the world would be saved. 
Some of those close to Hitler claimed that he spoke frequently about Karl May, often talking about how indebted to May he was. Okay, we're now getting more than a little deep for a popular culture podcast. Well, with the clanging of the truck wagon triangle, partner, we are saved by the bell, I guess. It's time to wrap up this episode with some shootouts and shoutouts. Thanks for hanging out with me, Tim, and I look forward to doing more episodes with you in the future. It's been a blast as always, Paul. I'll do it again anytime. I'd like to acknowledge the German language website Powdersmoke, which provides a mountain of material about the wide world of German Western novels, from which I drew much of the information for this episode, along, of course, with a big assist from Google Translate. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, joining me next episode for part two of our exploration of German westerns will be Alfred Wallen, the author of over 200 German language westerns, and a man who has six guns and Wild West history running through his veins. Thanks to our Six Gun Justice Patreon subscribers for their one-time or monthly support. If you are so inclined, you can help cover the cost of the podcast by using the button at the top of our website, sixgunjustice.com. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes continue to be available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Until we meet again, be kind to each other, be kind to yourself, and may all your trails be happy. Adios for now. I'm out of here. Let's ride. (laughs) 